Yes, Miuk the same. Why don't we start by singing together hymn number one in our hymn books. We can sing it in English and in German. So whichever tongue suits you best, number one in the hymn book, would you please stand? Good morning. It's good to be together. It's good to take a time to acknowledge how great a God we serve. Let us praise him with thanksgiving. And a hearty welcome to all of you and also to those who will be listening in during this week. Can any of you ever remember a time when, like this, where all of us are tested by the same thing. You know, a time where, as churches, we're all tested by the same thing. We're living together in a very unusual times. So in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it calls us to examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. I appreciate Pastor Victor's sermon last week. He started the journey of looking at the seven churches. You know, it's a look at how Jesus views the church, the things he appreciates about the various churches, but he also talked about the things he wasn't that happy about. So, this today, I'm looking forward to the continuation of that, you know, the rest of the story, you may say. So, turn with me in your bulletins, take out your bulletins. There's a couple of things I want to highlight. There's a couple of things I'd like to add as well. First of all, on Tuesdays, you can get this morning service on the website, on YouTube, and on cable TV, and on channel 12. And channel 12 only after 4 o'clock. And there's also DVDs and CDs available. So let others know, you know about this. And on YouTube, you can basically see it anytime during the week after Tuesday. We have a, some people in Boundary Trails, Betty Reimer, Leona Berg, and Jane Brown is in Health Sciences Center. Let's remember them. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for guidance for their doctors. And we have a couple of um, expressions of sympathy. Uh, there's one that's not in here. Um, Erin Schallenberg passed away this week. She's a daughter to Rod and Karen Schallenberg and also the niece to Wally and Elma. Decent, well, not decent, Newfold, sorry. Um, of, of this, let's remember them, remember that family. And uh, Jacob J. Dick, or Jake Dick, husband of Anna, and passed away on July 28th. And um, they want to thank us uh, and you for the support that they receive. And let's keep them in our prayers as well. I have a few things to add to the Vacation Bible School. First of all, registry is till August 13th. And then um, the, the session or the DVBS or VBS will be held August 23rd to 27th. And um, it's for grade 1s to grade 6s. So call the church office or call Anna at 325-9421 for more information or on how to register and, and also know more particular volunteers are needed. Anna needs help. So next Sunday, you're all welcome back here. It's the community church service that will be on the screen and we can view it together. The church will be open. We'll be having church uh, together, register. And then we'll view this on the screen, and you can see some of the people that will be serving us next Sunday morning. So why don't we take the time and, you know, bring the service to the Lord. Father, 
you see us. Father, you know us. You have watched us the last 125 years. Help us, Father, to examine ourselves the way you would. Father, give us ears so that we can hear and eyes be able to see where you need us to be involved personally and also where you need us to join hands with others and be stronger and do the work together. Father, walk with Betty Reimer, Leona Berg, and Jane Brown. Give them a peace that only you can give. Give the doctors wisdom as they, as they plan a course back to health. We thank you for your servants, Don and Shar, and as they serve here, be with the team that, is, that they have left out there. Father, we just ask you also to walk with Ann Dick and family, Rod Schellenberg and family. May they feel your, your presence in a very, very special way in, the, in these days and the days to come. Father, we want to pray for volunteers for the VBS program. Prepare the leaders, prepare the volunteers, and also, Father, prepare the children. Anoint this service so that brings honor to you. Fill us with your, with a new desire to serve. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been singing about, or I've been, I've been pointing us in my preaching to a holy God, and so this morning we're singing about a holy God, as we have other times. Please turn to number 536, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord.
makes you wonder, do I actually stand amazed? Let's think about that. Thank you for joining in and giving that hearty singing. Dawn, are you here? Oh, it's not Dawn. 
We don't even get to see Dawn this morning. Dawn had a little accident. <laughs> Thank you, Shar. Uh, come on up. Well, good morning. I'm missing having lots of little kids here in front of me. So I'm just going to pretend you're all six, because who doesn't like a good story? And we'll go from there. Um, so I'm Shar, as most of you probably know. And my family and I have lived in the jungles of the Philippines for many, many years. And it's right in the middle of the jungle. Uh, we would call it like the middle of nowhere. There's no roads or electricity, no stores, nothing. So now I want you to imagine what kind of animals live with us in the jungle. And then of those animals, what would you think to be the worst to be in your house? Crawling on you or even on your bed? So, um, you might think spiders. Yes, those are bad, especially the ones that are big and yellow and black. We call them the school bus spider because they're that big. Those are bad, but not the worst. You might think rats. I really hate rats, especially when they run across my feet, but they also are not the worst. I don't know what else you might be thinking. Um, snakes, those are really bad. But again, not the worst. Bats, they've had me under the table many times, but also not the worst. Maybe lizards would be your biggest fear. Those actually aren't so bad. They crawl over your roof and they're kind of fun as you lay in bed and watch them chase the other insects flying around. But what the worst animal in our house has been, I would say, would have to be ants. And that might not be what you thought. You wouldn't think ants are that bad, but let me tell you, they are bad. And they're everywhere, everywhere. And you just put your food down for a second, and it will be crawling all over your food. And you get so used to it that you just eat the ants because, I mean, you have to eat your food. And if there's a few ants in there, you just get used to it, and you don't really mind so much. And you think you can protect your food, so you put it in a good Tupperware container to save it, well, that's no match for the ants because actually I think ants like the taste of Tupperware because they'll chew through the Tupperware and then get into your food anyway. And not only do they like food, but they like our clothing. And they have eaten holes in everything. All our shirts, they almost look like lace shirts because there's just holes being eaten all over them. They hide in our towels. Now, this is bad because they also bite. So they're hiding in the towels, just waiting to get you. And you get out of the shower, and you start drying yourself out off, and then before you know it, your skin is on fire because there's ants all over you, biting you, and you have to jump back in the shower to wash them off. They live in our beds. This is the worst. You just finally get to bed, and you fall asleep, and either you or your kids or multiple times a night wake up, and the ants are in the bed, biting you, so you have to get up, change the sheet, shake them off, find out where the ants are, find the trail of where the ants came from, and spray it or whatever, try to get them to go somewhere else so you could finally just sleep, because you can't sleep while ants are biting you. But one night, we experienced ants like we had never before. We were just sitting on our couch, just about ready for bed, and all of a sudden, we saw a few huge ants. They're called the subuk. Now we knew we had a problem that was different than our normal ant problem. They're really big and black, and these kinds of ants travel in huge armies, and our house, and we were in their way. And within minutes, it's like water coming down over your wall, except it's black, and it's thousands, hundreds, millions, whatever, of these huge ants just 
invading, and they'll just crawl all the way through your house, and we knew we had to do something. So we all jumped into action. Thea and I were um, responsible for inside the house, so we just start killing them one by one. They're that big that you just, like, start killing them, and then Don and the boys ran outside, and they set, like, fire rings around our house just trying to divert the ants. The ants that were on our, in our, on our house crawling up, they took blow torches and walked around the house and just, like, tried to, like, burn the ants off. Someone was spraying with, like, a vinegar spray. It took a couple hours, but we did finally one win. We were able to divert the ants. We survived another day. So we went to bed, but the night was not over because all of a sudden we started to smell smoke. And it wasn't from the smoke of the fire rings outside our house. It was inside our house, and our house was smoldering. We had set our house on fire trying to kill the ants. It wasn't a big fire. It was just smoldering, but it was enough to jump, make us all jump out of bed again. Instead of fighting ants, now we're fighting a fire. It's a crazy night, and we, don't, we won't forget it. Um, after living in the jungle, I look at ants definitely in a different way. Um, but I'm really thankful that I can come to Canada and sleep in a bed and know that I won't be woken up by biting ants. But ants can also teach us quite a bit. We all know that in the Bible it says that we should be like the ants, working hard, doing the jobs that we were given. But they also remind me of a story that I heard when I was younger. And this is how the story goes. Maybe you've heard it. There was a boy and his dad playing catch in a field where some construction was taking place. And the son bends over and says, hey, dad, look at these ants. Suddenly, the son noticed that a bulldozer was working its way towards them. Dad, we have to save the ants. We have to pick them up and take them to a place where they'll be safe. But the father responds, uh, sorry, Ryan, unfortunately, we won't be able to, they won't understand our actions, and they would just bite us. So the son shouts at the ants, save yourself, a bulldozer is coming. They don't understand our language, Ryan. The son began to cry as he watches the ants moving around, unaware of their coming doom. The only way we could save them said the dad, would be for you to become an ant and go down among them and in their own language warn them. Then maybe they would understand and be saved. And Ryan looked at his dad, puzzled. Can we do that, dad? We can't do that. You're right, Ryan said the dad, but this is what God did when he sent Jesus into the world to become a man. Speak our language and show us, how, show us his love and the way of salvation. Isn't that true? That's what Jesus did when he came to the earth. In Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And aren't we thankful that Jesus did that? He provided a way for us to know him and to be saved. And now we as believers are given this task to go and tell others about him as well. So, the next time we see an ant, maybe we can remember what Jesus did in coming to us so that we can be saved. We can thank him for coming, and then we can see what our part is in showing others that good news. And we can also be thankful that they're not in our beds fighting us. For scripture reading, I want to read uh, Revelation chapter 1. Okay. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart with what is written in it, because the time is near. And John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from, whom, from him who is and who was and who is to come 
and from the seven spirits before this throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has has freed us from our sins by the blood, and has made us to be kingdom and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus on the Lord's day. I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Tethera, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire, His feet were like bronze glooming in a furnace, and his voice was like uh, the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and hates. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thus far the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it is an awesome thing to hear Jesus described in this way. And it does help us to take a second thought about how we approach you, how we approach the scriptures. And I pray that you would continue to work in us uh, a perception of 
what it means to worship and follow a holy God. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your spirit, who is our teacher. And I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you will be at work and that we will be willing to be taught. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I should just clarify a comment I made before. Uh, before the service, uh, we meet for a bit of prayer time, and Don walked in, and he had his arm in a sling. And so I was expecting to hear a story from a guy with his arm in a sling. <laughs> but anyways, that was what my comment was about. Well, two weeks ago, we acknowledged that our God is a holy God and that he is beyond comparison in all his attributes and sovereign over all that he has made. In his presence, sorry, in the presence of his holiness, there is no place for sin, for corruption, or defilement of any kind. Last week, Asking the question, what does a holy God have to say to his people? We began a trek into the first three chapters of Revelation. And I chose Revelation chapter 1 as today's scripture reading, just as I did last week, to remind us who is writing this letter that is being dictated to John. <clears throat> or, sorry, who, who is dictating this letter to John. It is the Holy Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who died and was raised and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It is to him that we must answer, and it is only his judgment that matters. In the first chapter of Revelation, we saw that just like the Father, the Son is likewise holy. And then in chapter 2, Jesus began to address the seven churches in Asia that he named. And each each one begins with the words of, and then adds a title uh, with some of the attributes of Jesus that are mentioned in chapter 1. Like him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, or the first and the last who died and came to life, or him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So each one of these is a, is a picture of Jesus from chapter 1. In each of these addresses, there is also a similar set of uh, contents. There is the acknowledgement of where each church is at. There's uh, like their situation and also their deeds. There's a reprimand, a judgment, a command, an encouragement, and a promise. And most of these addresses have uh, some or all of these uh, uh, components. And some, he just simply encourages to hang on to the end. Uh, those who are Smyrna and Philadelphia. And then there is one that actually receives no commendation at all. God has no good, or Jesus has no good thing to say to that church. It's just, <laughs> you better wake up. Another interesting thing about these addresses, <clears throat> which I mentioned briefly last week, is that the title of Jesus in each address seems to correlate to some other part of that address. For example, uh, in Ephesus, Jesus is the one who's introduced as the one who walks among the golden lampstands. The judgment to that church is that if they don't turn around, he's going to remove their lampstand from its place. Um, 
Another one is Pergamum, where Jesus' title is given as the one with the two-edged sword. And the judgment against that church is that he will war against them if they don't turn. We could go into a fair bit of detail about each church in all these categories that I've mentioned. But my aim here is not to understand uh, each address in detail, but to hear what God approves and what God disapproves of, what he commends and what he condemns. So as I did last week, I'll, I'll, I'll move through the four remaining churches, and then I'll try to summarize those two aspects that I'm focusing on. So, first one is Thyatira. Take your Bible, chapter 2, Revelation, at verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am, I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each one of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have till I come. The one who conquers and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, sorry, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Jesus has good things to say about this church. Thyatira is a, is a church that loves, trusts, serves, endures. And he said that their latter works exceed the first. I don't think it means that their uh, patient endurance exceeds their love, but that the works that they did when they first uh, came to know, the works that they've been doing lately exceed the works that they did when they first came to Christ. This tells us that Thyatira uh, continues to grow and mature in their faith. So this is good. But then Jesus cuts right to the problem. He says they tolerate the teaching of idolatry. What he said was that they tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches idolatry. Is he talking about a person or what is he referring to? Do you remember who Jezebel is? 
She was a daughter of a pagan king, a Sidonian king, and they were Baal worshippers. King Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel took her to be his wife. And of Ahab, it is written in 1 Kings 16 that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord more than all those who were before him. So imagine that pair running your country. Jezebel is the one who had a man killed because he would not sell his property to the king. Jezebel is the one who had the prophets of the Lord killed in all Israel. And Jezebel is the one who hunted down Elijah to put him to death after he faced off against the 450 prophets of Baal. And you remember, uh, they danced around the altar that they were, uh, had made and were calling down to, for God to consume their off- offering with fire. And it never happened. And then Elijah did, and the Lord just completely uh, burnt up his offering. And so then the people knew that God was God and not Baal. And then uh, Elijah, together with the people, took the prophets and slaughtered them. And then Jezebel was, of course, very angry about that and then wanted Elijah dead. So that's Jezebel. She was a brazen evildoer who grew up in idolatry and together with her husband practiced Baal worship. And pagan rituals involve sexual immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols, and idol worship. That's what it's all about. So, in the Revelation address to Thyatira, Jesus has reached a limit with those in the church who practice those things. He is jealous for the people who are being seduced to worship other gods. Jesus promises great tribulation and death to Jezebel's children, likely referring to those who are the students of those practices. Thyatira is much like Pergamum, if you recall last time, where uh, the teaching of Balaam was a problem. Uh, Both churches have a contingent in their congregations that is trying to mix Christianity with pagan religion. And this is called syncretism, because they try to synchronize Christian faith and practice with pagan faith and practice. Well, no surprise, God hates that. He hates syncretism because it is unfaithfulness to him. It would be like a woman trying to be faithful to, or trying to be a wife to two men. The real husband gets angry and jealous. The false husband doesn't care about her first allegiance and seduces her to himself, and the woman's devotion is divided, and thereby she is unfaithful. To the rest of those in Thyatira who do not hold Jezebel's teaching, Jesus put no further requirement on them, and he simply encouraged them to hang in there. Keep keep on keeping on promising that those who conquer will have authority over the nations. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's look at Sardis. Sardis is the next one. It starts in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up 
and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, the commendation to Sardis is rather muted. Here it is. You still have a few in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. That's about as much commendation as they get as a church. And these will walk with Christ in in white, symbolizing righteousness. The reason given is that they are worthy. The implication, then, is that the others are not worthy. So, we've got another divided church. Some are uh, walking in righteousness, and others are practicing something else. The problem is that they have a reputation for being alive, yet they are dead. So, what tells us that a body is alive? Isn't it activity? You have to kind of see that there's some activity at, at At the very least, a heartbeat. And what do dead bodies do? They do nothing. Therefore, some kind of activity in this church seems to indicate that there is life. There's some activity there. And yet, their works are not satisfactory to Jesus. So what is this? Is it some kind of legalism? Doing good works without a real faith in Jesus? Time is running out for the people of Sardis to make some very important choices that have eternal consequences. The problem here is quite serious because this group is so far gone that Jesus said, wake up and strengthen what is about to die. They're at the edge. If they would not wake up, Jesus would be against them. Sounds to me like they have been lulled to sleep with apathy and complacency, with bad theology, poor reasoning, and a weak grasp of the truth. And in this sleepy state, they are unable to stand for truth and probably cannot even defend what they say they believe. And this is my perception. I think this is what has happened to Mennonites over the last 60 years. We have been lulled into a state of spiritual numbness as we carry on with our good works. We have failed to strengthen our knowledge of Scripture, our understanding of Scripture, our capacity to discern, and our ability to exercise wisdom. We continue our works through MCC and its programs, and they're good programs. I'm not knocking that. But we've been lulled to sleep to think that everything is well. We're doing good works. Everything's good. Me and my neighbors, we go for coffee and everything's good. Meanwhile, false teaching has been creeping in to every open door. 
And I praise the Lord that there was awakening in this church body when the conference tried to steer us down a path of false teaching. We need to be awake to the forces that want to nudge us off the narrow road and onto the broad road. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia is next. At verse 7, chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One interesting thing about the address is that this address is that the title of Jesus, in this case, does not come from Revelation chapter 1. It comes from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, which speaks of a future ruler in Jerusalem of the house of Judah. The one who shuts, uh, yeah, that verse. The commendation to Philadelphia is that they have kept the word of the Lord and not denied his name. The reward that Jesus promises is, is a, a really good one. <laughs> their enemies will bow at their feet. They will be kept from the hour of trial that the whole world is going to experience. And they will be permanent pillars in the temple of my God, Jesus says. Well, that's kind of interesting. When I think of being a permanent fixture... For all eternity, it sounds a little bit restrictive. (laughs) But if we accept it, I think in the symbolic way in which this word is used, it makes a little more sense. And we actually use this word the same way. When we speak of people as being pillars in the church or community, what do we mean? Well, we usually mean somebody who has sacrificed something or of himself to build up the community and, and, who's, and work to uphold it and strengthen it. And so it could refer to the saints who sacrificed to build up and strengthen the church. And Jesus went on then to say that the names of God and the city of God would be written on them, including Jesus' own new name. And what do we put our names on? We put our names on things that belong to us. 
So that's a pretty good picture. If we want Jesus to write his name on us, all we need to do is keep his word and refuse to deny his name. This is the other church that Jesus did not rebuke. Finally, Laodicea. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will give him, sorry, grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, this church is the one that stands out because no good thing is said about it. The best that can be said about it is that at one time they came to Christ or they wouldn't even be a church. Like Sardis, they are at a critical point. If they don't answer the knock at the door, it's going to be all over. Jesus will spit them out. It seems to me that the people of Laodicea don't know what they look like. Or more accurately, they do not recognize their desperate need of the Lord. They have lost touch with the Lord and his word. When we look into the word of God, it reveals to us what we look like, how God sees us. And did you notice that Jesus said they did not realize their condition? And did you notice how different Laodicea is from Smyrna, of whom he said, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. The Laodiceans think they are prosperous and need nothing. But as Jesus said, this church does not realize they are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they desperately need the Lord. The Laodiceans perceive themselves to be without need, which is their curse, while the Smyrnans perceive that they are very much in need, which is their blessing. It is a dangerous thing to lose touch with the word of God. The Laodicean church needed to get back into the word. Or maybe we could say it this way, they needed to open the door and let the word in. 
The words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, are not written to unbelievers. They are written to the church. Have we become lukewarm? Are we reveling in our prosperity, not realizing how wretched we are? Answer the door. Let the word in. Sit down and eat with him. Let the word of God, written and living, revive your dead spirit and nurture your soul. The promise for the one who conquers is that he will sit with Jesus on his throne, just as Jesus sits with his Father on his throne. I have trouble imagining that throne, because I think there are going to be a lot of people on it. (laughs) He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there are a number of aspects of these passages that I did not dig into or even mention, like blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, and the rewards that follow for the faithful. I didn't talk about that either. We began this study of Revelation 1 to 3 because we asked, what does a holy God want his church to know? And I'd like to do a quick summary of these addresses to the churches by focusing on what does Jesus commend and what does Jesus condemn? So let's start with what he commends. Jesus commends those who hold to the truth who do not put up with evil behavior nor tolerate false teachers or the practice of idolatry. He commends the practice of confronting evil behavior and false teaching. There is commendation for holding fast to the name of Jesus and not denying the faith, even under the threat of death. Jesus commends love, faith, service, and patient endurance. And Jesus commends those who have not dirtied themselves with the deeds of darkness, but walk in righteousness. And righteousness just means doing what is right. Walk in righteousness. These are the things that we should strive to do. These are the things that please Jesus. What does Jesus condemn? Jesus condemns the failure to love. So we might hold to the truth, but if we do it to the point of (laughs) giving up all our relationships, it's been kind of pointless. We need to love. Jesus condemns idol worship and all its practices, which is unfaithfulness to God. Jesus condemns the tolerance of false teaching in the church, which lures his people away to idolatry. Jesus condemns a dead faith, those whose works are incomplete and whose faith has been lulled to sleep so that they are unable to discern truth from false. Sorry, yes, truth from falsehood. And Jesus condemns those who think they are prosperous and have no need, not realizing that they are desperately, uh, desperately needy. Now, we can take this home and think about it and see how this applies to our lives, and I would challenge us all to do that. But I can see that it's going to take another sermon to work out how does this 
How can we apply this, all this to our lives? How do we avoid, sorry, how do we work to avoid false teaching in our church? What do we do? Are our eyes open to that? What are the tests that we use about false teaching? How do we confront each other genuinely so that, main, that we maintain relationship, but we confront the problem? How do we work with people who insist on being offended when confronted? That's a big one. How do we have tough conversations and do it in love so that, well, I've already said this, so that the relationship is not destroyed but retained rather and strengthened? What does it mean to hold fast to the name of Jesus? How do we identify idolatry in our own lives? And don't kid yourself, we all do it. What are the signs? How do we know? How do we stay undefiled by the world even as we walk in it? What are we doing to sharpen our understanding of Scripture so that we are equipped to defend what we say we believe? And then do that before judges and rulers and kings of the earth. Some of us may have to do that. Is that enough to think about? I'd like to address those questions in my next sermon at the end of August. If any of you would like a copy of this sermon or any other sermon, uh, feel free to ask. I'll get you one. In fact, maybe I'll, maybe I'll email this sermon to the whole church on our email list, and you can look at it for next time. Look at these questions and see what answers you can come up with. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are a holy God. And I pray that we would learn to tremble at your word and to recognize that you are God and we are not to recognize that we are man and you are God, and there is a big difference. But even so, you've created us in your image as a reflection of yourself. And if we walk in righteousness, that image is much more clearly seen than when we sin. And when we sin, that image is marred, and it is made unclear to the world. And so I pray, Father, as we ponder what you have said to the church in these first few chapters of Revelation, that we would take seriously these words and be willing to humble ourselves and let our faults be confessed to you so that we can work on them, so that you can work on us, and that you can form us more and more into the image of your own Son. Thank you, Father, for these words. Would you walk with us and add your blessing as we ponder these thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Anyway, let's sing together hymn number 15. The first three verses, and then I'll pause for the benediction, and while you sing the last verse, I'll come out to this door and try to say hello to as many of you as I can. leave you this with this benediction from Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I should tell you, after uh, tomorrow, I'm on holidays for a few weeks, and Dean will be back. So if you're trying to get a hold of me, you might have some trouble. Maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't try to shut myself out completely, but I won't be around.